Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep program notes on a great composer, um, subtitled "After Reading a Booklet Accompanying an Album of Phonographic Records" by Philip K. Dick. This is uh, first published in the Berkeley Daily Gazette, uh, Friday evening, September twenty second, nineteen forty four. And I believe I did the math on this, and he was 15 years old when he had this published. It is uh, a newspaper, daily newspaper in his hometown, um, where he was frequently published. Um, uh, it says Friday. I think it was almost always close to the weekend. Um, they had another day for younger people. It's This is for senior contributors in a column called the Young Authors Club, which was edited by a woman named Florida Cook. Um, at the end of every story she published, or poem she published by young authors, she would uh, give sort of her her notes on the story as uh, an editor and advisor, and also would give them, um, the kids, credits. <laughs> and in this case, um, Philip K. Dick earned four credits. Um... It says it was uh, September 22nd, 1944. So um, it was... I think what would happen is he would cut this out of the newspaper, like that little thing that says credit line, and then he could redeem it for uh, prizes probably of writing stuff or books. Um, I've read uh, dozens of these in... uh, the Berkeley Daily Gazette trying to f- track down um, the different stories, and this is one of the many stories published and poems published in Young Authors Club by Philip K. Dick. Aha! Okay. Would you read it for us? I would. I will. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Program notes on a great composer. Parent. After reading a booklet accompanying an album of phonograph records, close parent, original by Philip Dick. William Friedrich Moathaven was born on December 24, 1791, in the small Austrian town of Anderschluss. Unlike Mozart, he was born of humble parents, and so his musical ability was not noticed until he was almost grown. His father, Heinrich Moathaven, was the owner of a brewery, and his mother took in washing. When he was 22, having had only a nominal amount of music lessons on the organ and pianoforte, the position of Kappelmeister in the nearby court of the Prince of Salzburg became vacant, and the prince called for those interested in filling the post to come forward. On an impulse, Friedrich Mothaven decided to try for the post and again against the disapproval of his family and friends, set forth from Anderschluss to the royal court. In order to gain the desired post, it was necessary for him to demonstrate before a body of learned musicians his ability to play, compose, and improvise. Although he did not gain the position, his remarkable playing came to the attention of Kaufelter, then a guest of the prince, and this learned musician decided to take the young man on as his pupil. Under Kaufelter, 
Moathaven became greatly skilled in both composing and playing. In the year 1817, when he was but 26 years of age, a composition of his, Eine Frau dich Leiden, was performed by the Royal State Opera Choir and was so successful that this piece that Moathaven was invited to come to Vienna at the request of the Archduke. And so bidding goodbye to his old teacher, he set forth toward the great Austrian city where most of the masters before him had found their first fame. During this period, 1819 to 1824, when he was in Vienna, he turned out the first three of his seven symphonies, and besides these, a violin concerto and several piano works. Now his fame was assured, and he was known throughout Europe. His symphony was hailed, as was Brahms, as the tenth. But in 1824, the Archduke quarreled with the Prince of Salzburg and Moathaven unfortunately sided with the Prince, the result being that he lost favor with the Archduke and was turned out of the court. A witness described it. Friedrich was almost as angry as the Archduke. They approached each other and both began talking in angry tones. Almost at once, the huge Archduke towered over the slight musician, and as their anger increased, we feared that he might seize him bodily and do him harm. Finally, Mauthaven turned on his heel, the angry words of the Archduke still ringing in the air, and left the room. That was the last time he was ever seen at the court. After this episode, Moathaven followed in the footsteps of Haydn and Handel. On March 9, 1825, he left Austria and went to England. There he was greeted with all the acclaim he could desire. He lived there writing almost all the time. An opera of his was barely saved from intrigue and was finally performed successfully. But now the composer was beginning to feel the first twinges of illness that was to mean his death. We could all see that he was sick, wrote Kurt Meyer, a friend of his. He would sit before the window for hours looking at the English countryside. Sometimes he would look up at me when I came into the room with something for him. He never seemed to smile. I could see that he was thinking of Austria. And although he had said that he never wanted to go back, I know that he would have liked to have spent his last days there. Friedrich Moathaven never returned to Austria. Barely a month later, he passed away and a play and a place was arranged for his body at Westminster Abbey, but the burial party carrying his coffin lost their way, and through this accident he was buried in an unmarked grave outside of London, and to this day no one really knows where he lies. He left, when he died, almost 500 compositions, ranging from chamber works to a group of song cycles. Later, a complete edition of his works appeared under the famous B&H, Breitkopf, and Hartle name. Then, parenthetically, this is, yeah, this is, yes. Well, so you say, Jesse. Mm -hmm. There comes a a note afterwards in parenthesis. I think I'm just naturally big-hearted, Philip, to publish this because, you see, I have always discouraged this type of contribution as it is much too encyclopedic, literally, to fulfill the requirements of the column that work should be strictly creative. One of the most difficult writing feats is to put freshness into this type of work. I dislike to think of the effort being wasted, though. So here it is. Yeah. And that, so the reason I say this is definitely by her is because this is sounds exactly like every, every time she comments on one of his stories. Um, she comments on everybody's submissions, little poems, and 
makes corrections or you know advice and um uh, this is just so funny because she doesn't understand and i think i didn't understand and i guess everybody doesn't really know necessarily that this is a work of fiction that he is he has put out as a story and she has assumed it to be an encyclopedic entry on an actual composer well my friend you and i completely disagree oh really Yes. And we disagree because I have the advantage of ignorance, not having read all of the other comments that someone presumably named Florita Cook uh, made. I have no predisposition to think that there is a real Florita Cook, (laughs) that this is what she would say. Uh, But I would say this, that if the comment at the end, it seems in perfect keeping with the the rhetoric of the comments at the end put in by Florita Cook, the encyclopedic notes on the program notes on a great composer also seem exactly like the rhetoric one would find in the program notes on a great composer. Of course, yeah, yeah, that's why it's so hilarious. It's entirely reasonable that Philip Dick wrote this himself and that Florita Cook this time remained silent because in this comment, presumably by Florida Cook, she says, one of the most difficult writing feats is to put freshness into this type of work, this type of work, meaning an encyclopedic entry. And yet we know that he has done it. He Mm -hmm. has put freshness into it by making it a self-satire. So what I think is that Philip K. Dick wrote this, whether for her or not, Um, wrote that comment, one of the most difficult feats is to put this, and I don't want this effort to go wasted, so I'm publishing it, (laughs) which is to say that Florida Cook remained silent and let Philip Dick put words (laughs) in her mouth, just as he created Friedrich Mothaven. (laughs) At least that's how I read it. I will say this. It doesn't, it doesn't, there's no, there's no um, arbiter uh, to check who's right other than... Absolutely not. You and I can maintain opposing positions to all eternity. It'll give us something wonderful to sit back on our rocking chairs on a front porch sometime. Um, And since we're separated by thousands of miles, we'll just, um, we'll talk to each other and make sure that our rocking chairs are squeaky. Um, I would point out that every single author who is mentioned here, except Moathaven, is incredibly well known. Sure, sure. And since Moathaven presumably is in their company, one would have to think, wait a minute, is this guy for real? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does he really have 500 deaths? Then if you and I don't know Florida Cook, I mean, the real person, I don't know the quality of her comments on other stories that we take as really ending and getting a comment of hers. But on this story, surely she noticed that we never know what year this fellow died. Mm-hmm. Right, we're told that he died a month after a certain comment was made, but we don't know the year in which that comment was made. So here we have program notes on a great composer. We know when he was born, the day before Christmas, but we don't know when he died. That's kind of a big omission. Now, I don't know if Florida Cook knew German, but I know that Philip K. Dick did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is full of German. All of it misspelled. 
<laughs> I think some of that's deliberate, at least some of that. Is deliberate. I think all of it's deliberate. Um, Salzburg, for example. Um, in German, you don't put in a T. The Z is pronounced T-Z. Salzburg is S-A-L-Z-B-U-R-G, not S-A-L-T-Z-B-U-R-G, right? It's So if you know no German whatsoever, but you're used to looking in an atlas, you will be able to recognize that there is a misspelling going on here. And then if you take up the idea of misspelling and start to look at the other words that are in fact here and say, hmm, what could they be? Well, where does this guy come from? He comes from Anderschluss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anderschluss. <laughs> well, this was written in 1944. Yep. Every American in 1944 is familiar with the term Anschluss. <laughs> As they know that Schluss must be a part of a German word. And Schluss ends with two S's. They know Anschluss because, um, you know, that was the word that the Nazis used for the reconnection of the Sudetenland in northwestern um, Austria with Germany. Um, Anschluss means connection. But But Ander means at the end, right? Anderschluss is at the end. If we added an S to Anderschluss, it would be the town would be named as the end of the world. Right? This is the end. <laughs> he begins at the end. Right now, recently, you and I have been discussing um, a story by uh, Moravsky mm-hmm. about someone raised by foster parents. Right. There is no word Kaufelter in no. German, but. If you made it Kaufeltel, it would mean a purchase parent, mm. someone who bought you, who just took you over, or someone whom you purchased to be a parent. <laughs> now, Eine Fraudig Leiden, right, is the name of the composition that got such tremendous acclaim right. as public success. Eine Fraudig means a joyful, right? Leiden, spelled L-E-I-D-E-N, not L-A-D-I-N, means to suffer. So his great <laughs> success is a joyful suffering. Yep. First demonstration of what his fake parent has taught him to do now that against everybody else's uh, desires, he had left the end that he began in. This story uses the German gorgeously. Why are we told that his complete works came out <laughs> under the famous B&H, Breitkopf and Hartel. Mm-hmm. It means if you again modify the spelling just a little bit, it means broadhead and heart. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> these names are made up, and as I say, even if you don't know German, you're going to notice that Salzburg is misspelled. If you're a careful editor, you should know note that the death date is is not given. This guy never died. And if you at all listen to music, you've got to say, Motaven? Who the heck is this guy that I've never heard of? So I think that it's clearly a satire. Yeah. But because it's a satire of a form, right, of a particular form, it's after reading a booklet accompanying an album of phonograph records. Right. Because it is, right? a satire of a form rather than of a specific work 
when the editorial comment says, one of the most difficult writing tasks is to put freshness into this type of work. This is somebody congratulating Philip Dick for having written <laughs> gorgeous satire. But I think it's Dick doing it. You think it's Florida Clark and she's not cook and she's not doing it. She's just fooled. Yeah, she's. Uh, she, I, she's I think fooled. if it's she, she's not fooled. Well, I, I've got um uh, the, the the funny part is, is she. She she always has this. Uh, I've got another story by him. I don't know if I sent this one to you, called um, uh, the highbrow. <laughs> you did not. Oh, okay. So this one is uh, he, you know uh, w- the thing. I got tricked by this at the beginning because I'm not a music fan. Not anything like Philip K. Kid- Philip K. Dick loved chamber music. Just he, you know, classic classical music was his jam, right? Um, yeah, when he, when he dropped out of college, he went to work in a record store. Oh, so. he loved it so much. And um, so what, what, I guess the first tip-off for me that, that there's something funny going on is is it says, the subtitle is, after reading a booklet accompanying an album of uh, phonograph records, well, this is the sort of thing that would be in a booklet accompanying phonograph records, right? Or in the back of the album or in the inside or something like that. Excuse um, me, this is this is... This is 1944. Mm-hmm. This is before LPs. A, phono, a photograph, a phonograph album in those days is an actual album. It has many pages sure. and individual records, which are the old 78s. Individual records that make up the whole composition are slid into sleeves that are themselves bound together into this album. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So th- th- this would be the sort of thing that you would find in there. But if yes. if he was if he was um, if he was writing up a summary of something that was in one of those already, then why is he writing it? It's already there, right? So he's made up. I think he. I think what he did in the in that parenthetical at the beginning is saying, um, I read a bunch of these, and now I'm going to make up my own one. Um, and I'm going to p- be kind of cute about it. And he submitted it as a story. And Flurry to Cook, just like as usual, um, I, I, I want to read the one from um, The Highbrow. The Highbrow is a story. It starts, the Portland Philharmonic Symphony Orchestra lacked a pianist. Um, and it's about this guy who has a friend who's a pianist. They were both uh, musicians together in their youth. And then um, the, this other pianist goes off and becomes a... Uh, swing music <laughs> pianist, and uh, when they lack a pianist because somebody's sick, uh, the friend goes and tries to recruit his his uh, swing music uh, pianist to work for the orchestra. And when he comes in, he says, "Yeah, I'm. Uh, no, this will be no problem. I don't need to practice." And then um, it turns out that he he really did need to practice, and that. Um, basically, this is Philip K. Dick saying, "Look, chamber music is actually quite hard. It's not, it it it's not, <laughs> it's not just uh, swing music. Is yeah, it's it's cool and everything, but trust me, uh, chamber music is amazing. So uh, there's a sort of a, a back and forth in the story as w- w- is he going to be able to pull this off as a as a chamber musician? And ultimately, he does. Um, I'll read the last uh, paragraph of it." In the orchestra, Johnny watched Chandler with pride. He had discovered a musician. <laughs> and then, Florida Cook, we've got the, the line break, and then her, her parenthetical um, 
what do, what do we call this? Uh, uh, commentary? Um, it says, I think we will all agree that this story does not drag at any point. In fact, the dialogue carries the incidents along almost through the entire tale. Even the introductory paragraph of, explaining, uh, of explanation came instantly to the point and gives the plot dilemma uh, concisely and in a simple language. Believing the author honestly wishes constructive criticism, I will make the following suggestions and invite the members to add to them. Since the author went to some pains to give us a realistic picture of the derelict pianist and sub succeeded in convincing us that the man had certainly retrograded, the concluding events would have been much truer to life had Bill fallen down miserably, either in all of his rehearsals or in the concert itself. I doubt it is such a miracle as the one related could have happened. Uh, therefore, uh, sorry, furthermore, the story would have been stronger if Bill was first to be <laughs> a complete failure. Then, feeling the challenge and carried along by the new surge of pride, he could have dug in and practiced night and day and given a second chance, justified his friend's belief in him. As it stands, the bountiful manner, uh, bountiful manner prejudices the reader, who is very likely to be not at all pleased by the, his effortless success. It, it isn't effortless, but it, it isn't as she put it either. We readers like folk to earn their laurels. Would a symphony leader be likely to say, whoa, who's this guy? <laughs> Maybe I would have named the story, quote-unquote, Jive Player. Uh, look forward to seeing more of your work, Dick. <laughs> and then she gives him five credits for that one. Uh, so uh, I read the story, and I'm like, I completely disagree with all of her criticism. And she just doesn't get him, I think, is the is the real thing. Um, sometimes her her... Because I... There was a lot of um, question as to some of the stories have pseudonyms, and we know this because some kids didn't want to use their real name. Um, and so somebody pointed out that uh, one of these stories is uh, there. One of the stories, Flurry to Cook, edited, was um, published. Uh, there was a, a kid named Teddy, or at least that was the pseudonym, and. One person, Dick Scholar, asserted that it, Teddy was Philip K. Dick, and I was reading it, and I was like, "This is not abso absolutely not Philip K. Dick. Just you, the style of the way he wrote is nothing like it. The the focus, like, yeah, he has Christian imagery in some of his stuff, but he's funny, and this person is earnest, and this thing is not at all like it. Just doesn't fit. So." In reading all of her commentary, uh, she can give very solid advice, but when she comes to him, uh, she's just wrong. And that, what I think is so funny about reading program notes on a great composer is that I think she just, uh, this is exactly why he went, like, my first, uh, uh, there are some commentary by Philip K. Dick saying, um, yeah, she just didn't get me, <laughs> is that... Um, she she was trying to help him, but he had already surpassed her at, by this point. I, I, as I said, plausible reading, Jesse, plausible reading. I would point out that the comment that is attributed to Fleurita Cook at the end of the piece about the found musician is at least three times as long. Oh, yes. Commentary here. I think the commentary here 
doesn't offer any useful advice. No. <laughs> just says, it just says, this is really tough to do. But I'm going to give you four credits for doing yeah, that's it. that's right. Which is another reason that I think that while Dick may not have been gotten by Cook, I think he either spoke to her or in some way provided this. I think he just wrote it, but um, it, it fits so nicely with what he's saying. I'd also point out uh, now this is uh, moving a bit from our um, notional disagreement, which, as you say, we can't settle mm -hmm. um, whether or not Cook wrote this comment or not. Um, one of the things that I really like about this story as a reader of science fiction, and uh, at least from what I heard of it from you just now, mm -hmm. uh, didn't quite get me in the highbrow, is that this story, because it is a satire of a nonfiction form, done in such a way that its power comes through being fictional, but its fictional, its power as fiction requires that we see, that we make believe that it's fact. Mm -hmm. This story blurs the line between what is fiction and what is fact, as it's doing in our conversation about whether or not Florida Cook actually wrote that commentary. Mm -hmm. And the, the inability to discern with certainty whether something is fictional or factual is the single greatest hallmark of Philip K. Dick's thematic obsessions for his entire writing career. And we see it here already in 15-year-old Phil Dick. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really like the idea that, that uh, in 1944, you know, with the war going on um, and, and uh, you know, just people not having all the same interests uh i'm not a music fan so I, I i know you know most of the people he mentioned uh you know haydn and i've i've heard their stuff i i just don't know i i've never i hadn't heard of this uh Nelfler guy <laughs> um the the fake parent um but pretty much you know all the famous people you know and I, there's the archduke right so i love i love the idea that people would read it as as just a straight up sort of mini biography of a composer they'd never heard of because you know as a kid we i would read a book about you know beethoven um and you know he's deaf right and yet he composed music wow amazing you know these just little facts um but today you know in in 2019, we have the ability to go on the internet and search stuff up. We can look up old Encyclopedia Britannicas. Um, if you didn't have an encyclopedia in your home uh, as a kid, like I did, um, how would you find this out? You know, you'd have to go to the library and you'd get the help and look it up there. And right? now, I uh, when I when I first read this story, I I was like, William Friedrich Motave. It doesn't sound familiar. And I'm like, hmm, I'm gonna look this up. So I looked it up. And no matter how much I looked it up, basically it all came, always came back to this story. Um, it's because William Friedrich Mothaven absolutely does not exist. But imagine being a reader in 1944 with a war still raging in Europe, right? And 
uh, and I was saying in finding these stories, I'm literally combing through the newspapers, and there are stories about the war in Japan, war with Japan, and the war uh, in Europe, and uh, victory gardens, and savings, you know, uh, uh, war bonds, and that's just throughout. And meanwhile, here's a story set in Austria um, that has nothing to do with the war. And I don't think anybody would have written in and said, hey, there is no guy named Moat Haven. <laughs> they just would have let it lie. And I well, think I, I think they might have let it lie because I, I think even those who saw that it was a satire wouldn't believe that there was much at stake. In fact, if right, I had read right. it, I would have seen that it's a satire and I would have figured everyone else did mm. satire. You know, part of what goes on in, say, a modest proposal is a the proverbial boiling of the frog, right? Swift doesn't begin by saying, let's eat Irish babies. Right, right. He works his way up toward that at the end. Now, at the end, it's so preposterous that if you have actually been kind of assenting to the argument, you suddenly find yourself assenting <laughs> to this horrible thing. Oh, God. But if you, if you snap back for a second, you say, wait a minute, mm -hmm. if that's where this leads, right, so it becomes a satire. Mm -hmm. And then you read it back that way. You may begin reading this, uh, this program notes um, as not a satire, but when you get to the end, and I don't mean Florida Cook's argument uh, comment, when you get to the end, we're told that he was going to be buried in Poet's Corner. He was going to have one right. of the most hallowed, amazing places to lie in all of England. I've been, I lived in London. I've got to tell you, even today, with lots of big buildings around, you can't yeah. find Westminster Abbey. Right? And if you didn't find Westminster Abbey, you wouldn't just dump the body someplace. right? If this is a guy famous enough to be buried in Westminster Abbey, if you're going the wrong way, you're going to stop someone and say, which way is Westminster Abbey? <laughs> right? This is clearly preposterous. <laughs> That's right? what I it's love like, about it. It's like eating it's a Irish joke. babies. It's a big joke. When you get to the end, if, if you're believing that, you have been the frog that was boiled in the water. <laughs> but I think that Dick is supposing that by the time you get to the end – You'll get it, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think I did get it. Uh, by the time well, I got to the end, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is not right. Not I'm just like, you, Florida Cook, too. Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I, it does, she, she published everything. She published poems um, and short, mostly short stories, lots of poems. And, and the, in the way she signs this one, she says, I dislike... Think, of thinking the effort has been wasted, so I'm publishing it anyways, <laughs> right? Like, like um, I think she didn't want this sort of entry in there, and 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 to me that's just doubly funny because that's the feeling I had. I'm like, wait a second, is this a short? St and I, I don't know what point in the story that I I started getting that. I'm like, oh, this is an article, not a s short story, um, because it has that subtitle after reading. A booklet, right? So it, it purports to be one thing. Um, and by the end, with that preposterous idea of the, they got lost on the way to the graveyard. I mean, things weird, weird things happen in history, but really? Well, you know, if, if you and I can read this so carefully and we come out still unable to convince the other of what 
should be the reading. But we recognize that there always will be the possibility of multiple readings. Mm-hmm. We've got to acknowledge that there is going to be always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.